Hey everyone, it's Austin here. Uh, so here's the thing. You may have heard that I have trouble with microphones. This time I think the microphones were fine. Uh, but what broke was our Audacity file and then also the backup we recorded for this podcast. Um, it's here. The version that came out of, the, of Audacity was really clicky. Like, in fact, I might, I might just drop a quick, a quick hit of it right now. I edited it probably like three months ago to just make it look better on the page and sound better. Yeah, that's bad, right? That was bad. Uh, and then there was our backup, which was a quiet little whisper. And that sounded like this. Which was also bad, but then, then you know, I, I happened to give it to, I gave the files to a couple of my friends. My friends, Allie and Keith, who are both um, uh, audio people. They, they happen to work on a tabletop game podcast that I run. Uh, and, and between the two of them, uh, we were able to get a thing that worked really well. Uh, so thanks to both of them for, for giving it their all. Here's the thing. The version that you're going to hear about six minutes in, it sounds, it's going to sound great for six minutes. And then six minutes in, it's going to sound like everyone on the podcast is there and accounted for and also there is a time traveling ghost speaking alongside with them uh stick it out i think it's a really good interview otherwise we wouldn't have gone through all the trouble to fix this um so that's that's what we got thanks so much Hey everyone, welcome to Giant Bomb Presents. This is Austin Walker. I am here today with two very special guests from Campo Santo, Sean Vanneman. Hey Hello. Sean. Hi. Hi, thanks for having uh, me. And, and the lead character, the lead, the lead voice actor, I guess, in Firewatch, Rich Summer. Hi. Thanks for being here. Rich is actually here in person with me. I'm, I'm sitting across from you. I'm looking into your eyes right now. He's so handsome, isn't he? He's, He's a very so handsome, handsome man. He's a, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think everyone here is, we're all very handsome men on this, on this cast. That's right. Oh, that's I, right. I, I you should see me right now. <laughs> you described yourself Three as... Three hours earlier and I am bundled up like a babushka in like a backhouse. <laughs> Next to a Wi-Fi adapter is how you, you mm-hmm. yeah. described it earlier. Um, so, so Firewatch comes out like, it, it, I guess by the time this goes up... What's the what's the actual release date on it? February 9th. Yeah, so it will be just about to come out, I think. Okay. Uh, or maybe it will have just come out. It may have come out like yesterday by the time this goes up. Um, yeah. How's that feel, guys? It's <laughs> How does it feel to you, Rich? Because, I mean, it's just sort of like... Uh, uh, it's really emotionally confusing for me. Um, it's great because like, we put the game on pre-order. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like... Campo Santo like made money for the first time. Um, oh, that's exciting! Pretty freaking cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and you know, like people are playing the game. Um, people are like, we're seeing stuff from people playing the game, uh, and that's all very, very thrilling. I mean, we're also like rapidly like, whenever you you know you you can play test and QA your game forever, but then when you give it to a bunch of people, there's like all the weird stuff starts coming out of the woodwork. Right. <laughs> so we are like still making little fixes and little patches and like little, little, little QA bugaboos here and there. But so that's the part that's like emotionally confusing. It's like all the stress of that plus the happiness of it being kind of done, but right. not done. It's very confusing. Yeah, how I do guess- you feel rich? Like I, I can't imagine what it would be like from your seat because you kind of act and then, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Hey, look, they did, they made something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically it. It's like, it's, it's sort of been sneaking up on me because I don't have the day-to-day involvement that you guys do. Obviously I, I worked for our 
however many sessions we did. And, uh, you know, I've been, my work on the game ended months ago. So I, 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 <laughs> I'm excited it's coming. I'm glad it's finally out. But there were um, no pickups. There weren't any like, Hey, we got to bring you back into uh, not, not once we had the final session, it was, it was pretty much nice. done. Plus by yeah. then we had sort of hit a rhythm on recording. I okay. think like yeah. we, Sean could tell when he had enough options or when you might, he might want to tweak something. I, I, he was thankfully, you know, sometimes when you do a voiceover session, they can be a little bit bordering on abusive as far as how many versions of something they want. But Sean had a very clear idea of what he wanted and, and didn't really put uh, Sissy or me through the ringer too much. Did you work with Sissy in the booth or did you, did you ever see her? Actually, that's, that's an important question for me is, is Sissy and I have met twice. Okay. We met uh, once sort of during the, well, we met both times we met, we're, we're still in the window of recording. Okay. Um, but they were, the first time we met was well after we had started. It was in San Francisco for, what was that? Uh, uh, we used to do like a sort of like a press event thing for at GDC where we oh, yeah, had to play the game. Yeah. And so I met her there and then um, we met again at a, an interview in Los Angeles okay. that Sean came down for. Had but you already done any recording with? Or at that point, but yes. I mean, Matt, yeah, we yeah. did a little bit. Okay. Um, but that was my that's those are the two times I met Sissy and the two times I've met Sean in person. Otherwise, every interaction that we've had has been at a distance. Headsets. Yeah. yeah, but but that's yeah. kind of you know, as we talked about <clears throat> during recording, it was partially intentional, I yeah. think, because the game happens that way. The game happens with it's it's extra personal in a way, you know, you're you're over these radios right. uh, with Sissy and, and Henry are over these radios. They never are uh, necessarily, you know, in the beginning of the game, at least you're not seeing each other. You don't right. know what each other has. You have no idea what they look like. Uh, and there's like a really nice tension there because, you know, so I, I beat the game last night. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, there's this uh, really good running line thematically, but throughout the game of hey, who is this person? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting to know them better but also remember it's only been 70 days mm-hmm. i don't yeah. do i really know this person and and whether i'm talking there about trust or about how vulnerable you're willing to be with someone or to the degree at which your vulnerability is performative like all of that stuff is is built on the notion of distance and like you can't confirm that stuff in person Mm-hmm. In in the yeah. way necessarily that that you would like to, or that you would when you first, you know, you meet someone, you talk to them a few times on on the internet, or you talk to them on Skype or whatever, and like eventually, oh hey, like let's meet up for a beer, and yeah. and then like oh let's test, let's, let's actually do this and see how this goes. Um and and there's so much tension around that there, and I think it, I was, was very curious if that would have been there if you'd actually gotten to see Sissy who played Delilah, right? You know, every day in the studio. I mean, I, Sissy and I talked about this the first time that we met. We both had a sort of image of Mm -hmm. I had certainly a picture of who Delilah was in my head and I was a little nervous meeting Sissy that that would be excuse me no problem that that would be uh, tainted in some way or affected in some way and it wasn't and that was part of our conversation was to uh, that Sissy and I had was that I you know I I was very clear I'm not letting my (laughs) now that I know what you look like I'm not letting that change what Delilah looks like for me. And, and she agreed. I mean, she had a picture of what Henry looked like that didn't look a lot like me. So right. the, I think 
we were careful about it and we didn't spend too much time together and intentionally. I mean, Sissy and I live about two miles away from each other. So we <laughs> at any point could have gotten coffee or right. gotten dinner or whatever. And I, we elected not to. And now that the game is done, I, I, <laughs> she's a lovely person. I'd love to see her. <laughs> uh, Sean, what was the, what was the casting for this? Like, did you have people in mind ahead of time or, or like, what was that situation? Oh man. Um, it was a uh, completely opposite for the two characters uh, in that, with Sissy, I had worked with her before on The Walking Dead, mm. so she was she played Katya in season one of The Walking Dead. Okay, and um, uh, it was just like kind of blew me away with what she was able to like. That was a kind of an amazing thing that I took for granted at the time, where I put out a casting call for a woman who was like from Belgium but had moved to America like 15 years ago to like marry her husband and like have a kid. And then this like audition came across for that character that was just a perfect Americanized Belgian accent. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, this is Sissy Jones. Like I've worked with her before. Like this is why she has this club in her bag. Are you kidding me? Right. And so I, I'm, and then working with her on that game was just so great. Uh, and then we put out a casting call for uh, Henry and it was like dark times. It was really bad. <laughs> like it was dozens and dozens and dozens of reads and at one point, you know, I'm like, oh man, my, the sides are bad. Like I'm sending out bad sides. Like I'm like a scripts, I should say. Right, like, right. Um, I've written a bad character description. Like I've done something wrong. It got really because you're not getting the thing that you like. You do. You, did you have an image of Henry in your head that you just like that thing isn't coming back to me? I think I'm doing everything um, I can to send that thing out, and then when I hear these reads, nah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually not quite that, right? Because I feel like if you have this ideal version of a character in your head, you're going to, like, you'll miss out on something that's surprising. And sure. you, like, won't let yourself be open to something that's, um, that's, that could be right, that maybe doesn't just fit with your vision. So it was more like we would just, I'd hear, I mean, people would be, it would be like three syllables into a read. And I'd just be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just not unlocking a character at all it was just it was i i can't describe it and then um with rich uh i think correct me if i'm wrong rich but like you followed patrick on twitter because of his board game blog yeah somehow and at that stage i was literally just like asking anybody in the company i was like do you know any actors do any actors follow you on twitter who are <laughs> like this you know and it was like like rich fit the archetype like, Rich was sort of like, you know, I'm like, uh, like, we want some, we don't want, um, and no offense to these guys because they're fucking awesome, but like, we don't want Troy Baker and Nolan North. Like, yeah. we want someone who, uh, has, like, more conflicted interiority going on in any of the characters they've played before, or just seems to have that in their system as an actor, period. And like, Rich was like the first one that we had brought up. And, um, like it was the first one, <laughs> and I said, like, there's no way this guy will do this. <laughs> um, and then I was wrong because he sent, like, Rich, you sent over your, I've told you this, but like, sent over, he read for the part, and like halfway through the first line, we were just like, yep, like I just, it just like key fit into lock and opened the door, and inside was Henry, and I went like, oh, yeah, you're slightly different than what I thought, but wow, like I didn't know you were in there. Amazing. Like, you just guys... sort of like, it's very like that. It's like, imagine you have a key ring. It's got like 500 keys on it. And you're just like, nope, 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 nope. And then just like, oh my God, 
you know, in one words. Right. And then you open the door and it's something in there that you knew you wanted, but you didn't know quite what the shape of it was. Yeah, you can't like, you can't like, if you sit there and make this like perfect ideal of like what yeah. it's going to be, um, I mean, even then, it's impossible. You just sort of, like, think you know what you want. And then, like, you have to let an actor just become, the, like, be the character. And then you start writing for the character. And then they become more comfortable in the character because you're writing for them. And it's just sort of, like... It's a very collaborative process. That, that That's how you make a thing real, yeah. 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 So what yeah. was it like for you, Rich, on that side? Well, they kind of came at a funny time because uh, Mad Men was nearing its end, which right. sort of had been my job for eight or nine years at that point. And, um, I had been focusing on trying to get into voice acting. That was kind of my, um, in between every season of Mad Men, I kind of tried to focus on something else. One year it was independent films and one year it was a couple of years it was plays. And then it was, uh, uh trying to do guest spots on TV shows. And, this time I had said, you know, I really want to find out about voice acting. So I had just taken or was just finishing, I think like an eight week, uh, animation voiceover course. I had done a couple little things here and there. I had, I used to go and sit in on, um, Simpsons read throughs a lot uh, because I knew some of the producers and they had invited me to come and do, I did one scene on a Simpsons episode. So I was all just like, I want to do this forever. This is the <laughs> only job I ever want to have again. I love this. And, that was when that tweet showed up, uh, on my, my, my direct messages saying, you know, would you consider auditioning for this thing? And, you know, I remember them coming to me and saying, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to pay a lot. It's not, you know, and, and for me, it didn't matter. I, I said to them, listen, I will, I will go and buy a booth to have in my house, <laughs> which then over the course of the year or whatever it takes for us to record the year and a half, it takes us to record this game. It will pay for that booth. Right. And I will consider myself uh, way on the, the happy end of this. Right. Thing. Cause now you have a booth. And if you want to keep doing voiceover work, you can do it from home. Exactly. And now I do, and now that booth is where I, you know, I submit all of my auditions for voiceover stuff. I've done other jobs from there. It's sort of become this, a bigger, much bigger part of my life and, uh, the voiceover thing. And it's, it's chiefly because what these guys came with Firewatch. What, what draws you to, to the voice actor? Uh, I'll let you take a sip of water. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> my voice ready. Um, you know, I think the thing that gets me really jazzed about it, I, I started in improv, mm -hmm. uh, and it was all about, you know, creating characters quickly that had a point of view and a, a sort of a, they had their own deal, an angle. And I liked that. I liked how quickly you would just kind of put one hat on and take off another hat and, and move from character to character. And while straight acting has character, you know, like Harry Crane from Mad Men, it's, it is generally the same guy for right. those eight years that I did that show. And there can be like development, but like it's, it's Absolutely. consistency that, that's what right. makes good character development. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when you do a play, you're, you're, it's still that same character, but voiceover sort of bridges that gap of, uh, getting to try different things. Every job is vastly different and you're only doing it generally for a few sessions, uh, and, and you're kind of, getting to create something new every time you go into the booth. And I, I love that. Plus, I love that I can do it in my underwear. And, right. You know, as I did several times, <laughs> I would send Sean and Sissy photographs of me sitting in my booth. Just, just nothing but under, I have an entire folder. <laughs> Save those for later. Rich summer yeah. undies. That's shirts. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny you bring this up in, in terms of uh, being able to 
kind of present as different characters quickly and, and shift in a, in, a, in a faster way than, than in other forms. Because here, with Firewatch, the thing I thought about a lot as I was wrapping the game up was that another player could totally have uh, Henry that, that should have a different voice than mine, in, in the sense that um, he doesn't have the same inside jokes with Delilah that, mm-hmm. that I did. In fact, he may have eschewed joking with her at all, altogether. And I, I was curious, both as a writer, Sean, and as a designer, and then also, you know, Rich, as an actor, like, how did you find, one, like, did you address that, this like, need for a diverse voice because of the way the game shifts when, when players make different choices? And two, if so, and I think you did, based on just a few different versions or a few different things I chose, how did you find that voice? Go ahead, Sean. Um, you, you, I, mean, yeah, I think it started with how um, you guys wrote the game. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, how did we find that voice? It's so difficult. Um, you know, I mean, some of it is like by like more like logical nuts and bolts design, and some of it is just like the way I write. And, um, I'm sure Rich and Sissy are both <laughs> sick of it because <laughs> um, there's so much to record. But, um, uh, you know, I think like whenever we give play, like whenever I give players a choice, especially in that early chunk of the game, like where you're make build, like you're building this relationship to your liking mm-hmm. uh, between the characters, um, I find that those like inside jokes or like Delilah's sort of like penchant for um, bad jokes yep. uh, that, that Rich can groan to um, <laughs> just in, endears you to them in a way that uh, kind of like uh, is like the Trojan horse for you caring about them mm-hmm. you know so even if even if uh, Henry's like oh my god he's, oh god that was the worst joke I've ever heard you love them both right because like they might be giving each other a hard time but they respect each other and are making each other feel things so you kind of like get sucked into the middle of that like see like as like if you have if you're capable of any empathy which most people are (laughs) um so it's yeah i mean most of that stuff is just um giving people the like putting the like the the sort of like uh the like the seduct the, the the love potion in front of the player and being like every time you do this you're gonna take a sip of it and love these characters more right um but also like you can't force that because then like you would like if we force those jokes on you we force that that um that care that uh that type of character relationship you would re- come to resent it if it doesn't line up with the way that you like to build the character relationship so that's kind of the way I think of it from an and both standpoint and then in regards to the tone um. I just sort of saw the way Rich and Sissy play off of each other. Um, like, what's interesting is that uh, uh, Sissy's not a very sarcastic person. Like, she's not a very sarcastic actress. She can be, but it's not, like, her go-to mode. Mm-hmm. She's just sort of, like, silly and vibrant in a way that is really unique. And, um, like, Rich, on the other hand, has just, like... An- unbelievable well of like <laughs> sharp sarcasm <laughs> so i just Cruel. sort of like cruelty yeah cruelty really yeah, um, yeah. he's a, he's basically uh yeah a torturer um <laughs> but uh i liked the way they played off in the downtime booth um when they were just talking about each other's lives 
So I leverage that in those moments a lot. Um, but uh, I put Sissy in the in the like the seat of like power in the relationship and in the in the, in the in the in all of their dialogue. It's very rare that um, Henry like tries to overpower Delilah in dialogue, and if he does, he's usually really mad, right. and it's actually real. Like he's not. He lets himself sort of be let he lets her be in charge, and if she steps over the line, and the player says you've stepped over the line, yeah. Delilah, like, Rick, like Henry, um, has a temper, uh, and uh, I haven't really seen that temper out of Rich except when there's a couple times <laughs> when Rich would flub a line or something and couldn't get through something where there was a level of self anger <laughs> that the... was. That's, unparalleled. That's the self-hate. That's, ever seen. that's the that's the seed of all cruelty, though. Actually, yeah. so yeah, that's. Do you remember, Rich, when you like literally were like you were going over a line? It was I think it was um, rock outcropping or something, and uh-huh. you couldn't. You like <laughs> said it like five times in a row, and you couldn't get it. And then I hear him just go, "Oh, one one second. and then you hear like muffled footsteps, a door close, and then just. Fuck! <laughs> fuck! 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 In the hallway, and then like muffled footsteps. Oh, okay, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> you just gotta like, get it all out there. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, that's inside of you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if that really answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. That was even yeah. if it didn't, it at least gave me something. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what about from you, Rich? Like in terms of, you know. You, you, I guess I, I don't know what the structure of recording was like, mm-hmm. um, but you, you reach a point where, okay, here are the, the three lines that can come from this moment in this dialogue. Yeah. And, and they could be wildly different. It, was it tough not to get, you know, keep in mind this idea of the, the ideal Henry in a sense, but like, oh, this is Henry, when in fact it's a thing that's a little bit more mutable than that. No, you know, I would, I think that every response that Henry could make in the game, mm-hmm. Uh, is a very valid version of Henry. I mean, that's the thing. They don't offer you any options that are like, uh, you know, press, uh, one to say yes, press two right. to say no, press three to say green. And you're like, uh, uh, there were no, there were no points where Henry said green. Like right. it, it, everything made sense. Uh, but it's definitely you, you're shaping how your relationship is with that person. Sometimes I have a relationship with a person that is, uh, perhaps terse, mm-hmm. right? It's a, uh, a, a, not a warm relationship, right? And then that person might see me with someone else with whom I have a very warm and loving relationship. And they would say, Oh, wow. So I didn't even know he had the capacity right. to be like that. And I think that's what it is. I think Henry has the capacity to be as open and warm as you will allow him to be. But if you choose, to have this be one of those relationships that aren't like that, then in all honest form, it will not be like that. Right. And I, and I, I really dug the way that, that Sean, uh, wrote the script is in these sort of, I don't, I think I remember you calling them trees, story trees, something like that, where you would, it's like a choose your own adventure in a way. Yeah. As we recorded it, we'd have to record the four options, let's say, and then you'd record the small dialogue that would happen after each of those options. And that's where that sort of improv idea came very handy, I think, because switching mm-hmm. between maybe being a little frustrated or being, uh, you know, a little happier or being, you know, sarcastic or whatever. Flirty or like whatever yeah, flirty, it was. But yeah. Quickly and within the same exact, uh, thought idea, you know, that, that same exact idea or flow of conversation was 
it was it was fun. It was fun. I liked that. I liked being able to kind of explore every facet of a conversation. You know, unlike in real life, where you usually only get one shot and you generally right. blow it, and you walk away going, Fuck, what "Oh my god, I could it? have not been a dick for one second. <laughs> uh, this, this is your chance." Yeah. So, Sean, and speaking, like, go something. Ahead. Oh, just a, just one little ad thing is something I do before we go into the studio that I think really helps is um, this is like a little pro tip for anybody doing this uh, is that I take everything that we get out, like the script that we're going to record that day, and I think of it in the characters terms of um, like i think about their emotions the whole time when i look at it so like i have a raw script output it's probably like in the order in which i wrote it which is a good place to start because i'm like tonally going from like you know this is the this is the thread where they're flirting with each other or this is the thread where they're joking around with each other this is the thread where they're on the outs so like i'm always i'm in that mode when i'm writing it and then when i output it i try to like actually organize it in a way that the session flows without too many hard right or left turns. Mm. So like we'll sort of drift from the jokey or like the, the flirty stuff into the jokey stuff, into the terse stuff, and then into expositional stuff that has to be more like um, tone agnostic and then like back into. So I'll rearrange the script um, way out of game organization to make it feel more like an emotional journey for Rich and Sissy than like, okay, now let's go back to the top of the tree and start over. <laughs> Obviously there's a lot of that, like when we're recording, because there has to be, but like, I really try to like think about it the night before and reorganize like, you know, the 500 to 600 lines that we're going to do the next day right? and go, okay, like what's the best, how am I going to get the best stuff out of these guys without, without, um, with as few of like, hard stops as possible. Right, where, where they have to, like, recenter themselves and really refocus yeah. on, on, who am I supposed to be right now again? Where, where exactly. are we at? Yeah. Yeah, I try to, like, I try to minimize that for the sake of, like, their energy, like, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the tempo of the recording session. Um, but sometimes we obviously have to do that. We'll all just be like, okay, Rich, like, reset yourself. We're going, you know, but um, you just have to call that stuff out. So, so and, Rich, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Uh, so, Rich just talked about, about the story trees, and I, I will say that, like, I actually already said this to you briefly, Sean, but the thing that, that a lot of things took me by surprise with Firewatch, let's say, but the first one was like, oh, I'm playing a Twine game. Like, I'm, the <laughs> intro to that game is, yeah. is, uh, is a branching path story, uh, you yeah. know, and, and I'm curious, like, how much, you know, I don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty of like what you built the game in necessarily, but like. That's fine, we can do that. Uh, no, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. We can do that too. Yeah. Uh, I won't. I won't. I won't go out into the weeds technically okay. for, your, for your listeners. That sounds yeah. good. So like, what did you do in terms of like script writing, and then in terms of? I, I also say this because I, I am a, an avid Idol Thumbs listener. I remember like a year ago you mentioned all briefly on the cast. It was. I remember this because I was also working in Twine at the time. And you're like, oh yeah, I've been working with Twine a lot lately. And I was like, oh maybe he's just like goofing around in Twine. And then like, oh no, this intro is just a Twine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like, what uh, do you, what did you use in terms of script writing? Was Twine a recurring thing, and and what else did you use in terms of building that game? Because it looks it looks beautiful outside of just the scripting being really good and the, the writing being really good. Also, whoever all of your artists are fantastic. Uh, so yeah, so all shout out to them. <laughs> all artists are are, yeah. fan, are fantastic. Jane, it turns out Jane Ng and Ollie Moss okay. are the two, and then uh, we have a good graphics. We had a couple of good graphics programmers on the game. Gotcha. Um, but uh, yeah, so games built in Unity. Um, step one. Uh, that's like the core game mm-hmm. uh that opening you're talking about that's like it is like 
so early on, um, like even before we had a sort of company, like October 2013, September 2013, maybe, uh, we were trying to figure out how to make this game, like how we were going to tell the story of the character. And um, we had made The Walking Dead Season 1, like Jake and I had worked on that, and the core hook of that was like, you don't know your backstory. Yeah. And we kind of started that way on Firewatch, and it was really bad. Like, I literally got, I got to like the first dialogue choice between Rich and Henry, or Rich, uh, Rich and Sissy, and it was just like, they, I had no idea what Henry would want to say to her, because I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I knew who he was like, in broad strokes, like in tone, but I didn't know who he was in like actual biography. So, um, I, for myself and then for the rest to the illustrate to the rest of the team, who he was, I wrote in twine, which is like, for people who don't know, is just a like really basic, like, uh, the, I guess it's JavaScript. Maybe? No, I don't know. No, I think it's, it's no, it's uh twine. It's its own thing, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, just choose your own adventure engine that you can get for free, um, on the internet. And it's really easy, super easy to use. And you can put up really, like, great choose your own adventures on the web. And it takes, like, you don't have to have a lot of competence to use it. Yeah. Um, uh, at least in its most basic form. So I just made a twine game that was Henry's backstory and shared it with the team. And then to go, this is who he is. And everyone, like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I get who he is. Amazing. Um, and then I, and then we realized that that was just going to be the opening of the game. Uh, sometime afterwards. Uh, so then I just, we just rebuilt it in Unity. But I mean, I edited it probably like three months ago to just make it look better on the page and sound better. Uh, but it's basically what I wrote two and a half years ago. And then I think I even shared it with Rich when I said, this is the character you're going to be. Yeah, you sent it to um, me yeah. right in the very beginning. And, and having just played the opening of the game, it's, feels very much like it did then. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of shocking. Like, it's just the same. Um, yeah, like, I mean, obviously it has these, like, interstitials of Henry hiking out into the woods, and Chris Rima's music is just, like... Choice? Just, God, it just kills it's so me. so good. It just kills me. Um, the first time I heard the music in that scene, I was showing it to people, like, external people. Mm. Like, I was like, here's the opening of Firewatch, folks. And um, I didn't know the music was in there, and it wrecked me. Like I like was getting emotional in, yeah. the, in like in the meeting, and I was like, "Oh my god, Chris, I hate you! Why did you put this in here without <laughs> telling me?" Um, but yeah, so yeah, we, that's all entwined. And then we built like uh, our own sort of like fact-based event system that drives uh, Delilah's brain, that drives the brain of the world, drives uh, all of Henry. And Delilah's dialogue. Uh, that's just like a thing we built ourselves. Uh, so it's not like that was not, that was something you bought off the Unity store. <laughs> what was that? It that was wasn't something you bought just off no. the Unity store. No, we looked we looked at different things in the Unity store. We also use a state machine from the Unity store called uh, Playmaker. That's really really powerful, but not quite. It wasn't quite what we wanted mm-hmm. to do the bulk of the game dialogue in. It would have been too cumbersome, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean. Um, if people are super interested in this stuff, uh, a guy named Elon Lee, uh, Elon, I can't his last name. Uh, a guy from Valve, like four years ago, gave a talk about their event system, mm. um, and it's very similar to theirs. So, uh, not a bad company to hate in terms of that sort of thing. In terms <laughs> but, of a lot uh, of things, probably, yeah, yeah, um, well, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was it was started off just as a tool to communicate to the team like what we were trying to make, and then it communicated that so. Clearly, that why wouldn't we communicate that to everyone? Right. That's, we didn't overthink it after that, you know. Do you think it, it 
I mean, so so I guess more broadly, I was going to say, do you think that that might put some players off who are like, what is this text in this game? I, I these are the Walking Dead people. Why am I not? <laughs> uh, but but more broadly than that, even just I think about the the people who love the Walking Dead and. You know, first of all, obviously the characterization in Walking Dead season one is like incredibly strong, uh, and and you know, which is true for a lot of really good zombie fiction. It's like, oh, right, like it's the characters, the way that they interact that is so fantastic. Um, but there are also just there's there's there are stakes there that are in line with the sort of stakes that are in other popular video games, right? Like, oh, I need to survive. Right. Oh, we need to kill these zombies. Oh, I need a gun. Uh, I need to train someone so that they can use a gun. Like that's it's it's occasionally still naturalistic in a way that many games aren't. In that there are moments where I think like there's a moment where Lee chides Kenny for being a little racist that I really love, um, right. or or when Lee and, and Clement. Well, there's a lot of great Lee and Clementine stuff that is very naturalistic, and or, or at least naturalistic the way cinema naturalism is. Like it exactly. evokes it evokes real life, even if it isn't actually quote unquote realistic. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and Firewatch carries that forward, right? Um, but I'm I am curious if there's any anxiety around the fact that this isn't a game in which like zombies show up or or Nazis show up or there are no or zombie Nazis or zombie Nazis. Perhaps <laughs> there's no robots that are coming to kill us. Uh, and I'm not saying wow, that these are a lot of spoilers. Austin. I'm like, sorry. The possibility space of Firewatch. <laughs> I'm just any. I'm closing it in. I haven't said anything about ghosts yet, so I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you stole Steve Gaynor's ghosts and put it in, in yeah. Firewatch. Um, uh, Steve but... Gaynor's ghost is definitely in Firewatch. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think that's why it was really important to us to like put a, like a concrete mystery into the game, like have like concrete stuff happen to you yeah um until we really wanted to make sure we were telling not just a story a character story uh although that is like the concrete foundation of the game like that is the thing that like makes the game have weight in my opinion uh but we wanted to tell some a story that was actively happening to you you know a lot of like first person walk around games uh it's like you're experiencing the story of this place. Like, what right. came before? And uh, there's some of that in Firewatch, obviously. I don't know how much of that stuff you could, like chose to dig into. A lot but, of it. Um, a lot of it. Yeah, but, um, and it's cool. That stuff is really cool and touching and and frustrating in, in good ways. Um, cool. But right. there is also what you're getting at is like, oh, also this stuff is actively happening with the... You know, it's a game that takes place in the 1980s, and sometimes it feels like a 1980s like adventure film in some ways. I'm just like, cool. What is behind that ridge? Like, what is in this weird cave? And yeah, that you know, it's not a spoiler. I don't think to say that like it investigates that stuff. And the answer yeah, is not always just something happened here 30 years ago. It can be exactly stuff is happening. Um, yeah, and that's that was great. Like, and and took me a little bit by surprise because I was expecting the other sort of thing. The the oh, the history of this of this region. You know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought that, and I feel like that was a good, that was, I'm happy we made that choice. But I feel like we had to do that because, like, like, we definitely want to entertain people the way people have grown accustomed to genre fiction entertaining them. Yeah. You know, like, I think, like, it's really important for people to tell character stories and, like, thrillers are, you know, like, stories with weight to them that also take into account that, like, audiences want to be entertained and players want to be like 
sucked in and go like, oh, I should go to bed, but I really want to know what happens next. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you have to take that into account, I think. It's like you're doing yourself such a disservice if you just go, no, it's only about this emotional journey. Because, like, not everyone wants to go on that with you. But if you, if you um, set out to do that plus entertain people, then the, the audience that maybe was, like, a little more guarded and a little more cynical, maybe, like, that didn't want to get like fall in love with the characters that kind of like held back a little bit, like you might, they might melt a little, they might yeah. soften. And then that's a really like sort of like magical thing to accomplish. So whether we do that or not is who knows, but that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Rich, have you gotten a chance to, to see more than just the, the intro? No, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm out, I'm here, here in New York doing a play. So I'm away from home. Okay. I'm crashing with friends and, uh, the laptop I have with me, Austin is not, Oh boy! Of uh, the right juice to support <laughs> the right stuff. Firewatch. Well, there is a PlayStation Four code waiting for you. Chris, cool. Is there a PlayStation Four waiting for me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Scott. Yes. I'll drive. You know what? I'll not, I'll drive over to your house right now because I'm in the valley. Oh, knock cool. on your door. Well, cool, I'll get it. When knock I knock get on back. your child's window. That's so right. To see your father. <laughs> Here, take this PS4. It's for your dad. <laughs> Dad, a strange man came to the window. That's the PlayStation fairy. Okay. Uh, he's very handsome. That's right. Everyone is. That's right. Um, the so, but for 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 people, you know, it's actually funny because because Sean, when you first said, "Hey, Austin, would you be interested in talking to Rich about this stuff?" Your your phrasing wasn't just like, "Oh, hey, like Rich, Rich, be a good person for you to talk to." He was like, "Rich really wants to talk about this game and also just games." Rich would like to talk about games. So, Rich, like, what do you? What's your history with games in general? Uh, video games and otherwise. Yeah. Well, you know, video game wise, I'm I'm sort of a dilettante. I did play a lot of the Sierra games back. Uh, mm. You know, we had a we had a, a Tandy uh, from nice. Radio Shack, nice. and we played uh, uh, Black Cauldron and and you know the first King's Quest and and Police Quest and Space Quest, all the Sierra games, like I said. Um, but then, as far as video gaming has gone for me, it's been like the Pretty much run of the mill console stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of, uh, I've, I've, I've had a lot of the consoles, a lot of Mario, stick with a, a lot yeah. of Mario. I'm very, I tell you, know, I play some, some first person shooters a little bit, but, but mostly like, like Mario, like Mario Maker, by the way. Sean and I were talking about it. It's Man. Fucking amazing. What a fucking good game. You know what? <laughs> it's so uh, cool. That was our game of the year last year because I think we have really good taste here at Giant Bomb. <laughs> it's really cool. It was not my game of the year, but it was our collective <laughs> game of the year. So. Uh, but as far as board games go, I, I am a little more entrenched. Uh, probably about 12 years ago, I sort of discovered, um, this, this wave of, of gaming that I was not aware of yeah. previously. And I had always sort of liked games, but this was, I found Board Game Geek, which, you know, is the, the website for board games. And I sort of, um, fell in a little bit. Yeah. I, I've described it a number of times as, you know, I remember hearing in health class that the first time the uh, child of an alcoholic tastes alcohol, one one, <laughs> wow. of the, one of the potential responses is, "Oh, that's what was missing." Right, and that's sort of what it was when I when I found Board Game Geek. I was like, "Oh my god, that's what it was. That's what right. it was that I was looking for," and I just fell in. What and, What do you so like? What stands out to you right now? For what's the game you could be playing right now? You'd like to be playing. See, I'm I'm way a uh, I, I love 
the variety of games that are okay. out there right now. I, I have great not yet right gotten to play Pandemic Legacy. That Me is either. the one. I'm, that and like Time Stories. Those yes. are the two that are. I have a copy of Time Stories where I'm staying right now that I still it's in shrink and it's killing me. And Pandemic Legacy, I can't believe I've gotten this far and haven't gotten to break into it yet. Risk Legacy, I thought was fantastic. As someone personally who doesn't love Risk, right? That game, there's a lot was, not to love. Absolutely, but Risk Legacy totally changed the form, and I, I really, really dug that. For game. for people listening who don't know, uh, the Legacy series. What's the Rob Daddy? Right. Thank you. Who's also working on like a. What's the, the piracy? Seafall. Seafall. That's going right. to come from Flat Hat. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the Risk Legacy's like big thing was that there was a persistent board that changed from game to game. So if you played the same group of people, I mean, even if you didn't play the same group of people, in the course of playing a game, you would do things like add stickers that would erase a city from the map or would, would dramatically change, you know, one player's faction Tear from the other. Cards. Right. It, it was fantastic. Each game permanently altered the game state. Which was like such a novel thing oh, uh, for for board games, and uh, I I could I at some point I need to just sit down and write about those games because they are incredible. Well, I, I'm so excited to see. I mean, we're still in it right now, yeah. that legacy thing, and I I truly believe it's one of the biggest innovations maybe ever in board games. I mean, it's it's in the top five, and I I would love to see how that's going to reverberate throughout the, it's, the coming years. It's fascinating to me because like it's a thing that leverages the physicality of board games mm-hmm. that is so under attack in a sense, especially as we get better and better digital board games sure. um, that like, Oh no, like I can't rip up a piece of data. Like I, I could just redownload this game from steam if I yeah. want to, but like right. I can totally rip up a card in risk legacy or in pandemic le- legacy and it's gone. Yeah. And you feel it being ripped in your hands yeah. and you bought it, you own it and you're ta- and people get real, real all oh, freaked out about, Oh, uh, you know, I can only play this game 14 times, which, by the way, I own almost a thousand board games. None of them have I played 14 times. So you can't, to me, it's not a valid argument as far as that, that this, right. you know, it, it is still a full experience. You're not going to, you know, any video game that you play from beginning to end, you're generally, unless you're going through to like with, with Firewatch or with Walking Dead to try a different story branch, right. you're not. You're, you're, you're gonna go, okay, I finished that game. Yeah, I'm like, done now. I'm in the middle of playing, uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective right, right. now. And like, oh, oh there's man, only yeah. 12 cases. Like, yeah. no, that's, that's like, that's like 30 hours or something exactly. of, of my life yeah. that I'm excited yeah. to have. Uh, right. And, but then, and then you don't it's get really to, good. it's an amazing game, but you don't get to play that game again. You don't get to play those cases right. again. Right. And, and I, you know, people get all a twist about, you know, that you can only play Risk Legacy through those 14 times and then it is done. It becomes static after that point or pandemic legacy you play that year and then it is done. But good Lord, the amount of hours you get out of that purchase is yeah. enormous. And it is an experience unlike any other board game. Same with like time stories, which right. again, like Sherlock Holmes, you play each case once and can then you, you know the answer. Can you pitch time stories? I, I, I have like, the, the super short pitch I've heard is like, Oh, have, do you like Sherlock Holmes consulting detective and also doctor who? And like, yeah. is that, is that fair? <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a game, I, I haven't played it yet, but there's a game called, um, I haven't played Time Stories. I right. Mean. There's a game called Tragedy Looper, which I have played, which has, it's, it's, from what I understand, sort of, uh, Time Stories light a little bit. It's complex. It's a little tough, but it, the stories are shorter. And the basic way it goes is you play a, uh, you, you play through a storyline until you die or you okay. lose. Then you reset time. You go back knowing what you know now. Okay, it worked when we did this. It worked when we did this. Huh. That next choice is what killed us. So don't do that. Try something else. Okay, now that worked. 
oops, now we're dead. So you go back and you do those three again. Time Stories has a similar thing where you are moving forward, trying to discover uh, uh, or trying to play through the story of the game and you run into road bumps, which require you to kind of go back in time Mm -hmm. and address it in a different way. And I think, I just think it's such a novel idea. I don't know why people complain about the, the sort of finiteness of it, but so what? You are experiencing something different. Sean, I think I'm seeing the cruelty. I I think I'm seeing it. Life is finite. Life is finite. Yeah. That's my response. It's like, life is hard. Life is finite. You'll die alone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a board game. Uh, Yeah. This is why I'm playing Tharsis a lot on PC right now is that's also a fucking death field of a game. God. Yeah. Rich's like board game love is a shared by many campos which is very good like mm-hmm. ollie and patrick and myself and, and pretty much everyone actually uh we went like we did a campo camping trip mm-hmm. we did camp out camp out santo as we called it and it was just uh-huh. like a stack of board games like as high as like a third grader had to come with us so um good. but uh there's actually there's a board game on the henry's shelves mm-hmm. that was either i know rich you played a it's it's definitely by Summer Games. Yeah, like it's the public. Somebody reached out I, to me. I don't remember exactly who it was. Um, Jane maybe reached out and and was asking me about old tiny board games that might be in the Fire Tower. Now I, oh. I, I should preface by saying I I spent one night in the Fire Tower long before I knew I was going to do Firewatch. There's a in California about two hours north of where I live. You can rent this Fire Tower for a night. And so I had been in the Fire Tower when I was up there. Someone had left. A, like a chess set up there mm-hmm. and a couple cans of soup and we left a backgammon board there. Like it, it, it's really kind of a cool idea. Uh, this, this leaving things mm-hmm. for other people to find. So in Henry's fire tower, there is a copy of the game that is inspired by, uh, a game called Mr. President from the sixties. It was a three oh, right, bookshelf yes. game and it's a fantastic two player, uh, election game. That, you know, nobody plays now because you, you can only find it on eBay. But if you get the chance, it's two player only. It, it teaches you about the electoral college. So you kind of have some understanding of <laughs> what the hell that's this about. Year, you know? It is absolutely, but it's a great game. And, um, so I had shown them that game. I said, this is the kind of game that might be left behind. So I believe, isn't it called Dr. President in the game? It's called Do- Dr. President, a yeah. game of political triage. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but the art yeah. is very clearly inspired by Mr. Brady. If you see the game, if yeah. you see Dr. President, look up Mr. President uh, online, the 3M bookshelf game. You'll see the art is very uh, clearly inspired. Yeah. Ollie just like the moment Dr. President was pitched, Ollie's eyes lit up. And then <laughs> three seconds later, he had designed the box art for Dr. President based on Mr. President. Well, that's yeah. that's one of the things I, I like about Firewatch is that, you know, you're set in, in, in uh, the wilderness in Wyoming. Is it Wyoming? It's Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there is no... The outside world is, is present, but only in those little bits of artifice that are, that are, have been brought into that space. And it still informs you about the state of the world outside. And there's also this, 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 there's a notion of intrusion, but like, it's a really ambivalent notion of like, like, so I found that boombox, right? You find the boombox, and I dragged it back with me all the way to the, the, uh, the fire tower. Playing that like 1980s style synth pop like yeah, track the whole cheap talk here right. in LA. Okay, yeah. it's a real band. That wasn't just something <laughs> yeah. you guys had. Okay, uh, which is a, a great track, and and I, it felt wrong, but in a way where like the Henry I was playing at the time was pissed the fuck off. Like I'm gonna take this. I'm not gonna destroy. This is my boombox now, yeah. and right. also 
I am so already fed up with these fucking woods that I'm going to blast this song everywhere. Uh, and I, I really like that. How, how did you go about figuring out like what, what stuff from the, the urban and suburban world? There's also some magazines and some books and there's a bunch of other stuff yeah. that you can, uh, here and there. How did you figure out like where that made sense versus no, 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 we just want this to feel like unspoiled, unspoiled wilderness. Yeah. I mean, it was just mostly our gut, you know, yeah. um, I, the boombox thing was, uh, we sort of design, we design sort of like when we sit around, uh, and think about scenarios and the story and what's going to happen in the plot and what's going to happen in like just beat by beat or what could happen. Yeah. We kind of improv a lot. So it's like, yeah, you go down to this campsite and then mm. you hear music. Yeah. Yeah. You hear me. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there's. The team, oh yeah, the teens are down there and they have a boombox. Like, of course, yes, they have a boombox. It's hilarious. It's like, okay, like, what are all the things? We just sort of, like, spitball enough stuff to put on the board where they go, okay, like, yeah, that feels like a scene with, like, Firewatch-esque possibility space. And it doesn't, like, ruin anything we've built. And it doesn't, like, make the game feel like not the game. And then we go, yeah, it feels good. And we move on. And then we put it into the game and see, like, all the implications of those, like, really sort of gut choices. You know, we make a lot of gut choices based on things we think are cool. Like, mm -hmm. I liked the idea that you would be in this quiet campsite, and then all of a sudden you just hear, like, a synth bass kind of, like, through the bushes, yeah. you know? And you're like, what is out here? <laughs> you know? Um, but that's the thing, too, I, is, like, yeah. there is a sense of vulnerability out there that I haven't felt in many games, partially because... I, like the lightest of spoilers here because I'm not, I'm not into any specifics, but like you capitalize on the fact throughout the game that the world is inhabited. Um, yeah. Like, that was I mean, really so important. there's a line early on that I, that I think is fantastic and that I think is like the thrust of this game, which is, uh, Delilah is talking to Henry and, and she says like, Henry, there's something I should have told you about this place. It's outside. People come and go as they, as they want. And uh, like, oh, okay, right. Like this is not mine. There aren't walls here. When there are right. walls, it shakes you because it's right. not, there aren't supposed to be walls here. And I'm touchable and yeah, I don't exactly. want to be touchable. And that's why we, now. that's why we kind of break into you. Like your tower gets broken into the first night you're there. Like yeah. light spoiler as well. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, you've probably seen that. It's like the first 20 minutes of the game, first half an hour of the game. And, uh, yeah. So even when we put up four walls that you can be inside of and like they're, like that's your safe space. Yeah. We instantly shatter one of the windows and say no. Like you're, it's not safe. Right. Um. And that was just to like re like recreate that idea. And that was, I mean, growing up in the in Wyoming and like going out into the wilderness, that was just something that um. I took for granted. Uh, going backpacking and camping and hunting and stuff is that uh I was never afraid. Right. And then uh, you know, from like age like ten to eighteen, I was just like never afraid, and I would go you know, backpacking with friends when I was, you know, 15 and 16, like with no adults for days. And we were just, and, but where there were grizzly bears and stuff and we were just never afraid. And then, um, like I went back during the recording, I go back a lot, obviously, but I went back during the development of this game and I took my mom on this, like on a hike. And my mom is from Dublin, Ireland. Like I was born over there and my mom is like the most Irish lady on earth and does not like the mountains. <laughs> um, but I took my mom on a hike up near Yellowstone because I was recording like audio for of like nature mm -hmm. for for a reference for the game, so we went on a couple mile hike, and along the way, 
Um, we ran like our path got blocked by a bison that had like wandered out of Yellowstone National Park. So there's just like this like you know, it's there. 2,500 pound like killing machine that would just stomp us into oblivion. And my mom like freaked out and had like a panic attack. And she's like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do?" And like, uh, I. I was afraid. It was the first time that I had felt afraid in the wilderness, like in my life. And I was like, man, I've been living in California too long. (laughs) Like, and I was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to slowly back up. And like, he's a little grumpy, but we're going to hike over this hill. We're going to go around. It's going to be fine. But, um, it was good to go home and like, like in the first third of making this game and go out into the wilderness and realize like, oh yeah, like anything can just be over this hill and kill us. Right. (laughs) And like, who knows when anyone would even know. Yeah, you know, because, yeah. like, it was, like, we had turned around, too. So it was, like, we had walked through here before, and we're on our way back, and it's just, like, this bison is now just staring us down in the middle of the path. And, uh, yeah, that Jeez. was, uh, it was a really good experience. That Richard, happened. have like, you ever had any wilderness, clo- what's your wilderness history? Um, you know, I was, uh, I went to Yellowstone for a week once. <laughs> I was a, a camp counselor for a couple of summers. Okay. That's about, that's about it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Not a lot. I was in the Wet Hot American yeah. Summer Netflix series, yeah. which takes place outdoors. It was at a camp. It was at a camp. <laughs> That's something. Listen, that counts. Sure, there was I, I catering, but park in between uh, rehearsals. That's here, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. There's a tree right down the street from my apartment. <laughs> Did the rest of the team do any like like research in terms of being in in places like Yellowstone? Yeah, we took the whole team to Yosemite, actually. Oh, nice. We did, like, a big camp out, out there, um, which is just, like, for international listeners, a really beautiful national park in California, um, Yellowstone's in Wyoming. And uh, it's different than Wyoming, but it has the same dramatic, like, dramatic landscape and geology. It's dramatic in a different way, but it was really important for, like, Ollie. Uh, Ollie Moss is the 2D artist who did all the concept art and he did all the lighting in the game, and he did lots of stuff, actually, in the game, too. But he had been drawing stuff, and, like, for the first six months of the development, he would send stuff over, and I'd be like, every, like, one out of every five pieces, I'd just be like, man, doesn't feel like Wyoming. Doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel like Wyoming. Because he is lives in England. Like, he lives in South England in, like, a, like, posh, like, olden times town that has, like, a cathedral in it from the 1500s and stuff, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So we went to Yellowstone. I mean, y- Yosemite. In Ollie, just like we hiked around for days and we went and saw a couple fire lookouts. We did a lot of like really like hardcore research. And then like towards the end, like there was, I think Jake has described it in interviews as like this TV moment where he and Ollie are like up in this lookout tower looking out over thousands and thousands of acres of Yosemite. And Ollie just goes, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's, it's true. Like he never never did another piece of concept art that didn't feel like the American West. Nice. And that was pretty, pretty amazing. That's, that's really good. Yeah. I, you know, really awesome. I think that's about it. Um, I, you know, actually there's one more thing. There's one more thing that I just thought about that I'd forgotten. That I actually did want to bring up briefly, which is, um, and this isn't much for, for riches is for Sean, but I don't know how well, how well either of you are following the stuff, but the, the SAG AFTRA stuff has been happening in the last like six months or so. Uh, they're in the middle of renegotiating contracts with a couple of major video game uh, publishers. Um, yeah. And I am curious what your perspective, Sean, is as uh, someone who, who works at a, a small game studio uh, mm-hmm. and Rich as someone who does voice acting. If you're 
following that at all if you're keeping up. Give me his raised eyebrow. Yeah, yeah no, I'm. I will. I'll let. I'll defer to Sean. Go okay. ahead. Have okay, fun. Cool. Yeah. So, um, that stuff, like that stuff, kind of came up in the middle of recording. Yeah. And Sissy kind of brought it to my attention. She's like, "Are you up on this?" And I was like, "No, but I probably should be." So I like immediately was freaking out. Like, "Oh my god, the actors are going to strike!" Like, "Come on, this is this is we can let's get along." And then I sort of like read the SAG after position. It was like, "What, what, the uh, like they want?" Mm-hmm. And we're like. Like, I was like, oh, I would sign that. <laughs> like, my, like, our official studio position is just like, yeah, okay. okay. That seems reasonable. That seems reasonable. <laughs> so, so you're uh, not like, was it, so, so I, I guess I want to yeah. give, I want to, normally I'm in the other position of like making sure the case is being made for that position because it's so often dismissed very easily. But the case, I, yeah. so, so in this position, or in this case, I want to like switch a little bit and, and kind of repeat what I've heard from some other small studios, which is like, oh, those things would get in the way of us trying to make interesting games with good voice acting you're not like afraid of that at all um i don't i i mean correct me if i'm wrong um because i haven't looked at it in like six or nine months yeah and uh, but it feels like the things that you're looking at right are protections for like strenuous voice acting yep that uh seems totally correct and good and we do that anyway like and then um uh a pretty conservative royalty structure for games that sell over a million copies. Yep. Um, so, like, okay. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, that doesn't seem crazy to me. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, okay, it would, every time, like, we pay someone money for a good work, we wish we had that money back, too. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it just seems like if we sell a million copies of Firewatch, um, like, we're going to be able to do another game right like, and so you know and if that next game like we like i hadn't really thought of it that way either like you know like rich's deal is just like he's the paid voice actor like um uh i've made the money from the game that I'm going to he's make. made money from the yeah. game but like right. i think like i look at the things that the sag after once and i this seems reasonable to me um i don't it's I don't know. Like, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like if it's hard to, it's hard to make a good argument against it. And if your argument is like, oh, it's going to get in the way of us making good games with interesting voice acting, it's like, then, me, is it really like that's the thing that's going to get in the way? Yeah. Not the fact that it's like actually impossible to make a computer make an interactive cartoon. It's like actually <laughs> impossible to do this. Like, that's the thing. Not the thing that like, oh, like, Healthcare in this country is a disaster. Right. And you're paying like twelve percent of your budget towards a thing that sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like it's like okay, like sure, like it's all hard. So I don't think uh, rewarding people uh, for great work, along like in like in the event of great success, is uh, insane. Yeah. Uh, I'm speaking from a very like like cavalier and righteous position, I think, and I think like at the bargaining table there might be like. There's obviously details that I'm not considering in this conversation right sure. now, so I want to be clear. But I think, in the spirit of what SAG after is looking for with this agreement, seems in good faith to me. Okay. So I feel like let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah, and all that stuff sounds good to you too. I'm sure, Rich, as someone who wants to get more into voice acting. Listen, uh, I money's great. I like it. It's I don't useful. hate it. It's useful. But you know, whether Firewatch sells six copies or six billion copies i i have made my money off right right i'm i'm so it's uh, although if we hit six billion i would like that ps4 
But just, uh, <laughs> I just, so, I could, just so I can see what all the hubbub is about. Billion copies. I'll buy you an island. <laughs> the majority the island of the witness for you in, in, in actuality. Oh, got it. I wish we had time to get into the witness at some point. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I think that'd be the majority of humans would have bought and played Firewatch. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. I, that, that, no. Yeah. I, I, Chiefly, from what I understand, in the beginning of residuals, uh, royalties, whatever you want to call them, uh, I mean, they're slightly different things, but residuals basically were there because when an actor is being seen so much as one character, the more they are seen Ooh. as that character, the less valuable their image is as other characters, if that makes sense. That's fine. I didn't so, know that. That's that a really good point. Wow. That's, how, yeah. that's how it was put to me. And that means that, you know, the more that, say, Harry Crane from Mad Men is seen, the less likely someone is to believe me as another character. Now, hopefully, I can overcome that. Right. Right. But like you look at Michael Richards on, right. uh, who was Kramer on Seinfeld. He's had a tough time overcoming that. Mm -hmm. He's had some other things also. But well, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but, but 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 even before that, yes, before absolutely. he said he was Kramer, said some bad like, words. When those he, when those news stories ran, it was Kramer did this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he he is 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 synonymous with Kramer. Yeah. And so it's impossible for him to get away with it. So he will live on those residuals. And granted, there are a lot of them because that show runs yep. like crazily. But that's what they're paying him for: is that he doesn't get to work ever again without someone going, isn't that the guy who played Kramer? Right. Ever again in his whole life. And so that's what, that's chiefly what they're for. Now in video games, it's different because now granted in this game, I sound a lot like you do me. Um, but, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that my voice is any less, um, saleable, you right. know, it isn't any less, uh, valuable to me as a voice actor. So I think that that's why at a million copies, which is a shit ton of games, yeah. by the way, um, where those start to kick in, that's sensible. Yeah. I mean, it, it does start eventually. That means that you're hitting a saturation point. That's why those numbers are so high. Right. Because they start to go, okay, this is actually getting out there enough that that voice is going to be recognizable by enough people. And it may eat into, it may right. also because, make it more valuable, but it, it may make it less. Right. Valuable. I mean, that's definitely, we're seeing that now with some of the bigger name voice actors. Where yeah. Well, that's so, like what, what, what Sean said exactly. earlier. I don't want Nolan North for that. Now, Nolan North is amazing. By right. The way. But you don't want to play this and go, Oh, this is uncharted. Right. Right. You don't want to play another game and go, Oh, this is just Henry from Firewatch. Right. And so that can happen. And that's why, that's why residuals are important, even in this industry. Uh, they're less important for someone who sounds like that, you know, that right, right. is making, you know, crazy whatever voices. But I think it, it does, it does play into the whole thing. That's, that is a really fascinating perspective. I'm really thrilled that we got that, that perspective in here from someone who's actually doing this instead of <laughs> people like me who sit in a room and go, oh, I have some ideas. I have some ideas. I've, I've spoken to some people here and there. That's right. So thanks so much, guys. This has been a blast. Uh, Thank you. Where can people find Firewatch, Sean? Oh, where can you find Firewatch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Firewatch is on Steam right now, uh, regardless of when you're hearing this, because we had a pre-order. Right. Um, and then it's on PSN, hopefully right now. Um, it's 10% off for launch week. So, uh, it's regularly $19.99. You'll get it for $17.99. Um, uh, it's 10% off for PS Plus members, I should say, for launch week. Gotcha. And 10% off on Steam. Uh, yeah. And you can check it out at firewatchgame.com if you want to see more. Um, or follow us on Twitter at Campus Santo. 
How about you, Rich? Where can people find and follow? I'm uh, I'm stuff? on I'm on the Twitter as well under my name, Rich Summer S O M M E R. Or uh, if you want to talk about board games with me, I'm on uh, Cardboard Cast is my uh, board game handle there from the podcast that I used to and may someday. Still. You have the fire, so, Rich. I it's I in there. Oh no, believe me, I love talking about it. It's just all the other work. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts are tough. It turns out, dude. The yeah. worst. Yeah. The worst. <laughs> uh, you know what? One more thing I want to say is is I think this is you're announcing Firewatch.camera, right? Like with the launch. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Go that is yeah, the fucking Sorry. coolest thing. Awesome. Uh, I'm really into Firewatch.camera. Do you know about this? I don't know what the hell you're talking. First about. of all, oh. they fucking registered the website Firewatch.camera. There's dot camera is a top end domain now. I okay. Guess. Uh, yeah. We did this a while ago. You want to so explain like, what this is before? Well, before I close off? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the game, you're going to find a disposable camera. Spoiler. Uh, wow. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, actually. You don't really know what your you photos are. Do you want me to like. cut that? Do you want me to? I can go back yeah. and cut that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really know. What so do you want to explain that? Do you want to explain to me what, what Firewatch.camera is, Sean? Yeah. So in the game, you find a disposable camera. And because it's a disposable camera, you're not quite certain what your photos look like uh, as you're taking them. But when you complete the game, uh, on uh, PC, because we were trying to figure out how to do this on uh, PS4, and we haven't come up with a solution yet. But uh, a button appears on the, uh, the uh, I guess, the main menu that will send your photos to a website called firewatch.camera, where we kind of build you a custom website of all the photos and experiences you had in the game, and the phone rings. <laughs> um, wow, this is an amazing website. And... Uh, <laughs> From there, you can share them with your friends, but you can also get those photos sent directly to your home in glossy four by sixes in an original <laughs> photo mat like envelope and oh, you and uh, yep in packaging. So that's uh, pretty amazing. Awesome. I'm yeah. currently waiting in my shipment. I'm very excited for them. Uh, so that's that's like the that's you know I I talk shit about collector's editions a lot in video games, or it's just like a little statue that I don't know anything. What am I supposed to do with? But an art book I look at once. I, I'm really happy to be getting these. Yeah, what a good idea. A good idea. So Yeah, I'll I'll send you the URL Rich, so you can check it out. Yeah, please. It's, really uh, cool. it's, it's a pre-release URL. Yeah. Awesome. This is so good. Thank you so much for having us. Definitely. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you. Yeah, dude. Have a good one. Take care. Bye, Sean. Bye, Rich. I'll see you soon. Okay, bye. <laughs>